All right, we got some follow up to start off with here. We got uh, we got a, a continued question uh, in a in a dialogue with a previous uh, person who wrote into the the show, Ian, who is was asking some advice about architecture school. I I think the last time we talked, he was switching into architecture from civil engineering, maybe. Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Anyway, um, so so now is. Uh, potentially i guess thinking about uh, changing schools to be closer to home etc whatever but um the idea i think here is trying to figure out whether there's a difference in types of degrees and and how that plays out professionally more more than anything right so you you answered him um when he he wrote in so i just wanted to kind of go through your answer because other people might be thinking the same thing and might wonder what the difference is between the different degrees that are available out there for architecture and why one may matter in a different way than another. So Yeah, because, I mean, we talk about this in the profession, about the different degrees, you know, one being the Master's of Architecture, one being the Bachelor's of Architecture, or the 4-2 program, or the five-year program, or the four-year of, like, environmental design, and then you know, and all the, all the different kind of like degrees that can lead you into the profession. And different schools offer different degrees, right? It, and so exactly. this is kind of where the question's coming in is like, there, there might be a mismatch, especially if you're switching schools. Um, but then there's like just approaching this as a, as a total newbie and saying like, well, what right. do these different things mean? I, I, I will say what's interesting in, so I'm going to kind of like jump ahead to some part of the conversation that we haven't had yet and in say that, you know, a lot of times when you're switching schools, that also plays a factor in your decision-making because I know that we used to at Auburn, we used to take students who would transfer in with a four-year degree, but we would actually put them back in fourth year. It's like refinancing alone. (laughs) (laughs) And so we would, so they would basically, and a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people didn't like that for the simple fact that, you know, it's like, wait, I've already done my fourth year. Why am I feel like you're losing ground? Right. And in a way they may feel that way, but in a way, if you think about it, you really aren't because the only difference is, is that you would be graduating in the same amount of years is if you were graduating from say the, whatever program that had a four plus two and you're not getting the master's degree but you are mm-hmm. getting a professional degree. Right. A lot of people would make that sacrifice because they were going into our program because they wanted to do the thesis year at the rural studio. And, you know, it's almost a pay to play type thing where you, if you want to go there, you've got to kind of earn the right to be there because we've got all these people who've been there. I don't want to make it sound egotistical, but that was sort of a thing. It's like, I mean, there's so many people on the waiting list to go out there that have been part of the program for, for four years that to then just have kind of a, <laughs> a carpetbagger come in and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that the, wow. I mean, you know, it, it is the South and, you know, I people see. just coming in and taking over spots and stuff, you know, that's I what see it, that, how it is. Yeah. But anyway, I am getting my ahead of myself. So, okay. so, you know, I had reached out to Ian and, and, said that I wasn't quite sure. I was kind of assuming that the program that he was coming from was a four plus two and, you know, being closer to home, they've got a five-year BARC program. And so, you know, that obviously starts the question is the question is, is what do you want to do with your career? Right. Because it's not as in, in a way for me, it's, it's never cut and dry of like, Oh, get a bachelor's degree over a master's degree or get a master's degree over a bachelor's degree. There's so many caveats to that. And my questions to him were, what would you like to do? Do you want to just go into practice? Do you want to go into practice and eventually maybe teach? There are licensed. I mean, there's a lot of questions to ask there that you may not know the answer to right now and, and makes it even harder to choose. Right. Now I will say that there is the one benefit to him switching from where he's at to being closer to home is, is that he's closer to home. And we all know school's tough. And we all know that, you know, if this is your first foray away from, you know, 
your family and friends and everything else that, you know, just the distance can be tough. Can make I mean, it I, even I'm, harder. Sure. I'm I'm going through this with my middle child right now who is, you know, not only did we move away from his friends, that was already a nine hour move away from them. He went another nine hours away to school. And so he's nine hours away from us. He's 18 hours away from all of the friends that he grew up with. And I wouldn't say that he's necessarily having a tough time, but he would probably have a better time or at least an easier transition to such different changes if he was a little bit closer or at least just had access to family. There's Um, that part of it. Yeah. The friend part is, I think most at least what our my I'll, I'll speak from my experience i kind of think it's probably similar for you too just just our generation it was everybody left and went to college in various directions all over the place it was like scatter all of a sudden right and uh like i don't keep in touch and this is probably a more of the exception here in in this that i don't keep in touch with anybody from high school anymore and i haven't for a very very long time and, uh, and I think that that's more abnormal than normal. Uh, I know a lot of people who still go to their, they go to their reunions, at least we don't even have those. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so congratulations, you're still alive. Uh, and then, immediate. and then there's my, my middle son who doesn't ever want to leave his, this town because of his friends. And like, it's kind of a, he's still at that level of maturity, right? Like he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. And he thinks he knows everything, of course, but but it's, uh, I, I think it would be great for him to get away and, and, and like experience completely new things in a completely different environment. And yet, is it hard? Is it challenging? Of course it is. But that's, that's the, kind of the point too. Yeah. I will say this, you know, just um, as a side note to like my son, he, even though he is, you know, 18 hours away from his friends or, you know, nine hours away from his family, honestly, he, is thriving more than I thought he was one because he took a gap year. And so he kind of went into it, you know, a little bit older, mm-hmm. you know, boys, as we all know, tend to mature slower than, you know, girls do, there, you know, or just like they boys. just, you know, boys. Right. And, and, and honestly, a lot of his friends are having a bigger struggle than he is. And, and I, I, have been always one and you know this is coming from somebody who went into the army before I went to school that I just wasn't ready. I mean, I could have gone off to school, well, I could have tried to go off to school and then, you know, um go that route and probably have been, you know, starting my career a lot sooner than I did. But the one reality that I had other than probably not being able to afford it was the fact that I knew I wasn't ready. You know, people people almost feel embarrassed when they're like, oh, you know, my son's taking a gap here. You just like start muttering it under their breath. It's just like, and I'm like, hey, my son's taking a gap year. You know why he's taking a gap year? Because he's just not ready. And I would much rather him be ready to get his head into his studies rather than go there like some yeah. of his friends and just that went their first or, year suffered, yeah. pissed it away. They partied it away. They were like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm free, you know, and, and all that other stuff. So back to, you know, the conversation with Ian. So instead of, you know, our, our, our children, um, it, it, it comes back to this, this conversation that you have to have with yourself with, you know, depending on degree for architecture what do you want to do in your future? If you want to practice, there is no shame. In fact, you and I both are BRKers, yeah. you know, and I loved the program that I went through. I mm-hmm. loved the fact that they actually condensed what would t- traditionally be a master's program, you know, with a master's thesis down into a five-year um, program, but had so many different opportunities that it offered us. And so, I mean, now, did I know any better? No, I mean, because, you know, it's my first foray into college. And, you know, as I was going through it, I was just like, I like this college. And Exactly. You know, yeah. Didn't think too hard what, about it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 
I think now, you could get into an analysis paralysis kind of a situation with this. Exactly. And I, and I would say that there have been times where I've lamented about, you know, wanting to teach. And there are some opportunities that you can just teach or be kind of like a visiting instructor with a BARC. You but, could be an adjunct, sure. Yeah. But most people aren't going to hire you if there's better candidates out there with a master's degree. It depends. Like they need adjunct. They don't, yeah. they don't. Like the, it's rare that a tenure track or tenureship comes up, right? So th- those are those are very competitive, and they do require probably a a very high end uh, master's degree. And I don't right, know right. a better way to say that. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I know, like at, at Cal Poly Pomona, where I was teaching for a decade, you know, like when they wanted to hire somebody for a tenure track position, they were looking at everybody and it was very competitive and they did not want people from that school, the school that it was, they wanted people from with a diverse background. So they wanted degrees from all over with a varied set of experiences. So it was kind of reverse, uh, nepotism kind of thing, right? It was, it was just like, no, we're, we're, we will not, we're not even looking at candidates who went to school here. Right. We're, we're looking for a completely diverse perspective in, in a lot of places I, you know, hear that, that same story. And it's interesting enough is that Auburn's been somewhat different where, you know, not only do they hire those candidates from, you know, different places, they also hire, you know, they, they go the nepotism route and they say, you know, they like hey, the alumni. They they love the alumni yeah. it, because they, they they understand what you what they're trying to do. I, I would you may not understand this, and most everybody who I'm going to say this to and listening to aren't going to understand this. But I'll give you an example. Auburn just fired their head coach for football. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm talking sportsies right now, so I'm giving yeah. a sports I'm analogy. Tune out. I got to do something else. Right <laughs> exactly. Go get yourself a cup of coffee, but. <laughs> So their interim head coach is um, Carnell Williams, who was a star running back um, for Auburn and had gone on to the NFL and, you know, had a great, you know, pretty good career. And he's back as a um, a running backs coach and an assistant head coach there. And now he's the interim head coach. The interviews that he's done since being named the interim head coach and the energy and the excitement around having an Auburn alumni as the head coach is something that's really hard to explain. And, and really, so Auburn does that. Auburn likes to hire people who understand Auburn. And, you know, interestingly enough, the Southeastern Conference schools, you know, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Tennessees, Vanderbilt, places like that, they, they like to to have people who understand them, you know, understand the place and understand kind of like who they are, where they're coming from. And and so, you know, it's interesting that, that, you know, you say that, you know, your school, they don't really want to hire or, you know, there's schools that don't really want to hire alumni. I've, I've found that like the, the schools that I'm familiar with that, you know, were rival schools to my school, are absolutely the opposite. They yeah. they want those people there. It may not be true anymore. That was a long time ago, so I don't know. But that was that was definitely I I heard that many times. Anyway, to to your point of do you want to teach or not is also ambiguous, right? Because an and a master's degree allows you to pursue a tenure track position versus an adjunct position or a visiting lecturer or whatever. Um, and, and, but, but beyond that, I mean, most people who get an MARC and I, I'm, I don't actually know the data behind this. I'm just kind of, this should be going from my gut, have another professional or have another degree that was a different kind of undergraduate degree and they get a master's in architecture so that they can become an architect and go work in architecture and get hired just into a career in architecture and because that you can't really do that as an accountant or as a graphic designer or a mechanical engineer or whatever, right? You, you can't go work in architecture easily at least without having some credentials in university to go to architecture school. So a lot of MARC programs are those. There are of, of course the MARC programs that get added on top of a BARC, which is if that were the case, I think, you know, the BARC is a great foundation 
in that case, the MARC is not a general architectural education. It is it should be utilized for an, a specialty, right? It should be something highly specialized in the field, like computational design or sustainability, or you know something that you're really passionate about choosing a trajectory in your career that is more specific and special inside of architecture. That that's my my advice in that in that realm. So now, kind of like the the finale of his uh, question was, is there a difference between the two types of degrees that you've seen professionally? Now, let's talk about it in the profession. You are a practicing architect. Yeah. Is there a difference between having an M arc or a B arc in practice? My experience, no. Yeah, I get, again, I think it depends what you want to do with your career. I mean, I know people who do the who do do the exact same things with either one of those degrees. But then I also know people who have very specialized math MRCs because maybe they got an undergraduate in architecture, right? So the difference we're, we're making here is, is do they, do you have an architecture undergrad or not? Because <laughs> if you do, and then you add an MRC, it is specialized. If you don't, then you're basically the same when you graduate as a BRC with an, as an MRC with some other undergraduate degree. Yeah. But, you know, I know that I'm just going to take, for instance, you know, folks who have an MRC in our office, um, they went to four plus two uh, programs. Mm-hmm. And I know a whole boatload of other architects in our office. Four who, plus two architecture plus architecture or something else? It's, plus architecture. So the four plus two is four years of undergrad architecture and the two years of grad architecture. Got it. Okay. And then I know a lot who went to just the five-year BARC, mm-hmm. places like Virginia Tech um, and things like that. But Maryland offers a four plus two. Okay. So, and, you know, so we work side by side with all the different, you know, like BARC versus MARC. And there's no real like, you know, haha, I've got an MARC and haha, no. I've got a BARC because, you know, I got it, you know, I'm at the same place with just one year less, you know, it's, there's like none of that, like, you know, silliness. It's, it literally is. It's just like, we are all here together. We're here to, you know, um, you know, enrich our, our process, our journey through the, the profession and just make the profession better. And for the most part, people, they even talk about what school you graduated from and true. And and then there's even further ways we can confuse this (laughs) Like, like five years, master's programs in architecture yeah. And also, uh, what was I going to say? There was another one that I that just just I had, but then I, I lost it. Well, I, I will say this: that was somebody was. Uh, um, I, I saw this post oh, licensure okay. upon graduation as well, right? Like there's there's those yeah. as well. So. Yeah. And and what's interesting about like that is, you know, we we had talked about uh, some you know of the more recent Auburn graduates who who experience that you know licensure upon graduation and so there's no way that we're actually answering this to any satisfaction for ian i know i just say that we're probably could shouldn't have asked us yeah i was gonna say you're probably confused we've confused you even more but it really is it's just a decision on the path and and honestly if you want to be closer to you know home be closer to home if you're gonna go out and just practice architecture and I don't say that as hey, you're just going to go practice architecture, but you, if if that's what you want, if that's like your direction of your career, you can make whatever you want out of your profession that isn't going to be handicapped by whether or not you chose BARC for MARC, right? I don't know. I don't have an MARC. So. My wife does. And uh, I mean, as far as I know that there, there's no difference. Look, I, I know people who are presidents of companies who have no arc (laughs) and then there's others who only have a b arc or you know things like that and so you know lots of friends of mine that graduated with a b arc um from auburn they went on to own their own you know business and you know are thriving and are having you know exceptional careers with just five years just just five years yeah (laughs) So I mean, you know, Thank it, it you really for reducing me to nothing. Uh, well, I, I, I suppose I reduced myself as well. Yeah. Um, so I would also just say that you know I was just lamenting with with a friend of the show uh, when I was at Monterey Design Conference about this whole. I live. I went to school near 
where I lived with my parents, right? When I was in college, it was way cheaper. It was way cheaper. And that's, that was the biggest driving factor behind it. I missed out on so much of the quote unquote college experience because I was always at home. And that's where my friends were when I was not doing architecture, which was rarely anyway. So I didn't, didn't do much hanging out with them. But, but when I hung out, I hung out with my, my old friends or my, but, but not in studio is, is the big point here. So that was at that time, a conscious decision that that is something that I would personally change if I could ever do it again. And I'm not going to, but if I could do it over, I I think I would have had more independence from home life and more dependence on the studio life. And, And again, like again, this gets into like the whole like toxic studio cultures that do exist versus expectations of professors and all those things aside. I feel like this is the one chance that I had to get fully immersed in architecture and I didn't get all that I could have out of that. So just throwing that out there because I do think that like, if you're going quote unquote home, I mean, there there's good and bad with that as far as like just how immersed you want to get. And and maybe you just don't even know, like I could, I can't go back and change it. Right. It, it is what it is. And so, okay. But, but looking back, I wished I had had that. I was coming in. As an older freshman, well, not really freshman because I was transferring from another school, but this was all after the army. And we did our, we did first year as a summer option program. So it was just the full first year of architecture school condensed down into a summer semester. And then there was the first year folks that, you know, had gone through the whole thing. And then once we all got to second year, there's this interesting rift between summer uppers, which was me mm-hmm. and um, the first year folks. Cause they're like, Oh, you, you didn't go through the same misery that we went through. And then we're like, you, <laughs> you didn't are go not through, equal. You didn't go through the same misery we did because we did your entire, um, you know, one year in, you know, eight weeks. So shut you know, So, so it was just like this, this so funny, like little rift between the two. And so even the kind of like, quote unquote studio life and all that other stuff had this like level layer of kind of like, you know, you're not like us. Well, you're not like us, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was so silly and stupid, but you know, and then of course me being older and uh, I remember um, they were just like, wait, you were in desert storm. I remember watching that on TV during uh, um, when I was in high school. (laughs) Shut up. That was me, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyway. <laughs> so I, I don't think we've answered this question, and I don't think it's possible that we can. I think True. that there are multiple paths to architecture, and you have to pick what is the best for you right now. I think uh, you, you you should look at the quality of the education that each school offers. Does the, does the degree itself matter? I think it doesn't matter so much because you can always augment it later to get, get what you need out of it to go where you want to go. So I think, I think you should focus on quality, not speed, not proximity to home, anything like that. If, if, you, can, if you can prioritize quality as, as the top thing, I would start there. Um, and, and like five-year BR fantastic four year four plus two fantastic uh, do you even know if you want to get licensed i don't know like that matters right with an accredited accredited uh degree from a from a i should say a degree from an accredited program um that and carb cares about that when you want to start pursuing licensure you have to have a, a certain accreditation requirement achieved to even be eligible to start testing um a lot of people go never get their license, right? So that doesn't even matter to them. Um, so it, it there's there is no like right way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it. And I think for a lot of people, it's just this very squiggly road uh, that I mean, just choose the best thing that you can now and and change it on in a, as an, in an ongoing way, so that you're just constantly reevaluating and, and getting the most that you can out of it. Because and we've talked about this so many times on the show, what you put into it 
is a huge part of what you get out of it. And so, uh, you know, just just picking some school by some name recognition or whatever, I don't think is as high of a qualitative way to look at it as, you know, talk to other students. They're, what's amazing now is everybody's online. You can actually talk to students and get firsthand accounts and referrals for professors, for the programs themselves. Like I was just lamenting the other day about how I used to register for classes on the phone and typing in those numbers, right? Like, like things have changed so much. There is no way it would have been very difficult for me to just interview some people and ask them what it's like. You can totally prototype this up front and just by talking to people. Um, and, and I think students are totally willing to, to, you know, steer you in a direction based on their experience as well. So you want to, you want to widen the sampling range as well. You don't want to just interview one person from each place. You want to kind of get multiple perspectives. Right. And you know, the school you're at right now and, you know, you've been, you know, you're now at least a semester into it, if not more. Talk to those later on students, you know, talk to the later on students, see what, you know, how, you know, what they've enjoyed, what they've, you know, wish was different. You know, um, talk to graduates, uh, talk to professionals that have, you know, the degree from the school you're at now. Also talk to, you know, graduates of the school you're thinking about potentially transferring to visit that school too. walk the halls, look at, you know, their program. Um, I, you're going to find those resources, look at those facilities, like all of that plays a part in it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause it, it, I totally 100% agree with you that it's about the quality of the education that you're going to get. And, and so that really should be the, the, I, I know I was talking about, you know, it may be easier for you if you're closer to home, maybe, maybe not. I mean, that's, that's again, kind of a, uh, what you are looking for, for, you know, not only quality of school, but quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, you know, just there's, there's so many different factors and that's why we honestly can't really answer it in a way that's just a declarative. It's like, you should do this. Right. Cause it, it's, there's so many factors in there. Yeah. Oh, all right. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. We'll give you the uh, name of our therapist. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so you got to visit a project recently. You sent me some pictures of this thing and I, this is a, it's like kind of a top heavy looking building. I don't know. It's a top heavy looking building for a reason because um, it is a building that is basically being built from the top down. And you say, wait, doesn't that defy gravity? Well, it sure does, Evan. Thanks for asking. (laughs) No. So it's the exchange tower. In Detroit, and it's being built by the Lift Build Company, and the Lift Build Company is not only the name of the company that's developing it, both in the 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 rationale behind the the type of construction, but also literally the way that they're actually building it. And so, you know, I've seen, I've I've been visited downtown a couple of times, and. Uh, one thing that I did promise myself when I was um, moving to Detroit was I was going to kind of like kind of immerse myself within the architectural community and, and really just try to learn as much as I can about the, um, the, the place that I live now. And, you know, so obviously transferred my um, AIA membership from AIA Maryland to AIA uh, Michigan and then uh, my local component is AIA Detroit and, you know, just wanted to get involved with, or at least, you know, take advantage of AIA Detroit and what they have to offer. I mean, you know, we've had conversations in the past on, you know, criticizing AIA, but not really being involved with AIA and things like that. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to just get involved in just whatever I can, whatever I would like to do. I just want to at least experience and, and network with local Detroit architects. So, they came out with um, a building tour. I love doing building tours. Sure. Especially if they're not mine, because <laughs> if there's a question, do you want to do a building tour? The answer is, is yes. The answer is always yes. <laughs> um, so, but this was an extraordinarily unique one. And so we will definitely post um, pictures in the, um, in the show notes. So please take a look at those. Uh, also look up lift L I F T 
build in Detroit and you'll, you know, there, you'll take you to videos. It'll take you to all of these things. But so let me explain the concept. So they, it's, it's an urban, urban site, small footprint building, small footprint site. It, it, it kind of baffled me, you know, when I was, when I went there, I was just like, you know, what would be the, the benefits of it? And then I just started talking to myself before I started talking to anybody else about what I thought the benefits were. So what they did is they built two elevator cores. Those two elevator cores are basically their shear walls and kind of like their primary structure. And they built 15, you know, 15 stories plus the another mechanical penthouse and, and everything else. And what they've essentially done is created two, let's just call them that they're, they're parallel. So if you guys are like, if you just put your hands up and made like the touchdown sign symbol, then that is literally like, you know, it's, those are the two cores. And so there's, yeah, it looks like two towers, but they're just concrete right. elevator cores. And stair exactly. Cores. Right. Okay. And so then what they do is they basically build a platform or build on the ground, a uh, steel platform that is your uh, floor plate. Um, they start to do things like pre-wire, um, pre-plumb. They, you know, start running like mechanical systems for the floor below, not the floor above, but the floor, not the floor you're on, but the floor below. Mm -hmm. And they essentially lift that up into place. They jack it up. They, they They jack it up. As the structure to jack those up along. Yeah. So if you look at the, so again, please either look, you know, like just, we'll just put a link to Google it search, yeah. uh, take a look at the photos. You know, there's, they essentially, they essentially create an elevator platform out of the floor plate and mm-hmm. then they lift it up into place. It's, um, they said it was, it's 30 feet per hour Okay, that it goes up. Um, and so, you know, something that goes to the top is, you know, going to take you know, a couple hours and then. Obviously, the lower floor is going to be in place, you know, in no time. Um, and so then they load the floor up with like all of your interior partitions and, you know, all of the, you know, fixtures and everything else. So you don't really have to like, hey, I'm going to have to carry, you know, a toilet up through the elevators and, you know, take it to the floor. No, everything's lifted into place and then put into place once it's, you know, locked into that, their, the position. But all of the exterior walls are put up while it's on the ground. So is that really the benefit? Is they're just doing all the work on the ground? And it, yeah. So safety-wise, yeah. so so obviously, you don't safety need cranes, wise, et cetera. Quality control of, you know, like, you know, some of the, the finishes and stuff. They lay out every interior partition by basically a Roomba robot that goes out and, and basically lasers out all of the it's a printer yeah i mean yeah like, like so it, it they print them out yeah super it's cool. a yeah yeah um i mean we we've talked with with people in the past who um have done projects like that i, I believe shop um was doing things like that you know we've uh like I, i've seen things like that in in our projects but then i've also seen you know the more typical more conventional so i was i was talking to the developer and he he you know i I, I was like, you know, have you done like a pro forma on like, you know, the, the, um, cost benefits and stuff like that, you know, and he was, he was talking about, there's a, there's a, a lose money kind of, um, height to a, to a building with this approach. There's a break even height to a building, you know, being built by this approach. And then there's a, you know, a value added, you know, you actually like increase the efficiency cost and everything else you know, on, on things that are higher. And he was, he was saying that like the sweet spot is kind of like, you know, a 20 to 50 story building. You've got these two towers that are like up in the air. Now it does limit the amount of like weight that you can put on, um, your, you know, your exterior facade, because let me explain this to you. So as you're, you know, you're lifting this up, you've got these two, these two cores, the span between the two cores is about 55, 60 feet between the two cores. And then essentially from those cores in the north-south direction and the east-west direction, it's cantilevered out. 
mm-hmm. and it's cantilevered out. You know, usually, like he said that in the east-west direction, it was 25 feet from, you know, measured from the face of the core to the edge of slab. You know, and in the north-south direction, it cantilevered out 30 feet. And they said that they can go a little bit longer than that, but that's sort of like the sweet spot for for this kind of a floor plate. And, you know, so so you basically have got this kind of like, you know, plate that's sort of flapping in the breeze and you're you're lifting it up and they've got these kind of like i don't don't really know what they called them but i'm just going to call them kind of like this these lock in columns they're not load bearing columns they're basically columns that lock the floor that you just lifted into place to the floor above and it's just you know interesting it it prevents sway and everything else do those stay they and they stay up? and they okay. stay I was wondering because, yeah, I mean, you see like these two, you know, the two cores are the the superstructure for the whole building and everything else is kind of like cantilevered floor plates with curtain wall. I was wondering if there's any other interstitial vertical structure. So they are in their hangers. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. So they're not structural, though. They're just basically there to kind of like gravity. lock it. In. Yeah. Um, but they're there. If you look at some of the photos that I sent you, you'll kind of like zoom in and you can see like these little, you know, stub columns uh, along the perimeter. Okay. If, and if you look up to the, um, the floor above, it's got basically like these little green squares that that's where they kind of like sit, sit to, and then you weld them in place and then they fireproof that portion because like, Hmm. They do all of the fireproofing. They do all of the plumbing. They do all of the electrical. They do everything that would be running above ceiling at an ergonomic level at yeah. the ground. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine safe. like, like yeah, worker safety is a big issue. Yeah, but I, yeah. But like the other thing that really I, I just get the sense of here is that this is way more like a manufacturing process than a than a construction process. Right. I mean, obviously, right. it's still construction, but. It's kind of like this is a take on prefab, if you want to call it that, in a much different way yeah. than I've ever seen before. Yeah, yeah. So, so think about this. So, so in in and I'm I'm kind of reading a quote from uh, this. This is like it's a system that turns construction into a manufacturing plant. We're not mm-hmm. putting people on beams a hundred feet in the air that right. need to be tied off. Right. They, you know, and it really is. And so even OSHA has approved that if they wanted to, they said they don't because it's just their own internal safety that people could be working or, you know, like on that platform as it's being left, lifted up into, into place mm. because it's, it's considered a platform until it gets locked into place. Then it becomes a floor. Yeah, because there's it's there's no open holes in it, right? right. It, it's a full enclosed platform. It's so interesting. Like I'm just thinking, like how how much it could kind of speed things up by the all the work constantly just being done on the ground. And, so, and the way it speeds up is you don't have to convey stuff 16 yeah. floors up, right? Right. Exactly. You, you just exactly. build the whole thing down there, and then you just send it up. Lived. And so once it goes into place that floor is fully enclosed. It's, it is, it's fully, it's weather tight because mm. the, the facade that they put on is windows in place, walls in place, insulation in place. All of the exterior envelope is in place. And it's basically, if you think about the way that we do like a insulated metal panel facade mm-hmm. and the dry fit system where it's basically gasketed together, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of a concept like that, but it's, you know, metal stud walls, glazing uh metal this particular one is a metal panel exterior um you know uh insulation and all that other stuff but it's all that's all up and ready to go they they put each floor's facade up in two days because it's it comes out to the site as a panelized system yeah everything's already there huge efficiencies in kind of the manufacturing mindset of this type of a building and it's not like that awesome of a looking building but i can it totally fits it It, it's like this this process fits the building (laughs) you know i mean (laughs) they're not mutually exclusive they they do need to go together yeah i i i I wasn't 
you know, 100% enamored with, you know, the design of the building. But I honestly think that, so this is the one thing that he kind of kept stressing. He goes, this is a proof of concept. Yeah. yeah. This is, Uh, he goes, we don't expect to make money off of this. We, you know, um, but we do expect to, because they, they, it was funny is that, you know, there's, of course, architects on this, you know, and so they're all asking very architecty questions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and, um, you know, mine as well, you know, because I was like, you know, is like so when you would say the first few floors you know was that where you were working your kinks out and he, and he was like starting to break down is like you know the first floor took two months the second floor took you know like you know a little bit less and then sure. it, a little bit less and a little bit less as he was going down and so they kind of like this is the first time we've ever built a floor and jacked it into place because this is the first time there's we're a learning doing curve. Sure. And so there was a learning curve. Yeah. And so then I asked him, I was like, okay, so when everything is said and done, you have a 15 story building. How long is it going to take you? He said 15 months. Okay. Let that sink into everybody who's done, you know, any I've never done mid-rise, a 15 story building. <laughs> mid-rise, high-rise buildings. Yeah. I'm doing a 15 story building in downtown Baltimore right now. 32 months. Yeah. Yeah. Now it is a little bit different because it is a, it's a phase while occupied. It's an existing building that we're, you know, demoing the skin um, and then building that skin and then moving ev- and yeah. then moving everybody over into that one and everything. So there's, there's a whole bunch of logistics in there. Yeah. This is a brand new building from the ground. This up. is a brand new building. But what, but the thing about it is, is what did you not see on that site? in those photos was tower cranes. Yeah, that's there what I was are other thinking. buildings down the road that are being built conventionally with tower cranes. And tower cranes are like the most expensive piece of the construction exactly. process. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a tower crane on my site for 32 months. And how much is that per day? Exactly. I, I, I told him that he, I actually told him how long the tower crane was sitting there and his jaw dropped Yeah, because he was just like, Oh my God, do you know how much money that would be? I'm like, yeah, I do. And and that's the thing is like, you know, there was no other way around, you know, my project not having one. But in cases like this, if, you know, you can get around it, you're, I mean, I think, I think they had a tower crane or at least a mobile tower crane for the two cores. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, they had to build those from the ground up. Right. So, so. right. So once, once you get those there, then you know, then you can demobilize the tower crane and they're gone. So if, if say you build those two cores and they're pretty meaty cores too, they're, you know, those, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the entire structure and it's, it's like where everything bear bears on. Like you weld, you know, basically you bolt and weld all of these cantilever floor plates to these center cores. And it was such a, I mean, you know, yeah, architects are going to pick apart design and all of that other stuff. But I honestly divorced myself of, of like that criticism and just really try to embrace thinking about what this could do for a lot of different places that, um, you know, a lot of money is tied up into site logistics. Sure. Yeah. And to eliminate a lot of that, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, right. you're building the floor, you're building your 15th floor first. on the same footprint as your first floor. Yeah. And you're just lifting it in a place and lifting it in a place and so on and so on and so on. And so like, think about like your lay down space and all that other stuff has now been condensed because you're, you're essentially creating like a little manufacturing oh, floor yeah. plate. Yep. It It's just, it was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I, I think that the thing that I, I wish that I saw here, Cormac was photos from up in the building. They would not let us. They I actually, can, I can they, <laughs> they would not let us. We try, I try. I, I mean, I even like, you know, said, if I go around the corner, it would just like snap off some shots of this. And they honestly, the second you walked on the site, you had to put your phone away. And, and one person who wasn't in that whole rundown came in, they pulled their, their phone out and started taking pictures and they were quickly escorted off of the property. It's just like, <laughs> he was like, oh, I wasn't as part of this. He goes, well, that's, you know, he's like either that or you just like give us your phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, but I mean, you know, and I get it like right now they're really just trying, I mean, you know, it, it, it's theirs. It's, it's, you know, it's their, I guess their trademark, I, I guess. Yeah, um, sure, sure, sure. 
Well, but, but, and they are doing it in public. So, I mean, obviously not everything is just out in the open, but, but for the most part, you can just drive by and take pictures of this thing. And, and there it is. It, it's gotta be kind of unnerving as people drive by and watch those first couple floors go up. And it's like, what is going on oh, here? Oh my gosh. I mean, the yeah. first time I saw it, I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then, yeah. because I, I happened to be going to a, to an event like right next door to the building the first time I'd seen it. And it really looks like this disconcerting kind of like lollipop type thing, you know, it's all top heavy and all that other stuff. But honestly, you know, for us, you walk up and you look at it and it it basically says, you know, lift built and you like, okay, what does that mean? And then you look back and you look that and you're just like, "Uh, Oh, really? I wonder. This can't be the first building that's that they've done like this. Not not they in particular, but so but the so planet. there there have <laughs> there there have been a few buildings in the past, and they they said it's like this is not the first time, but this is the first time using this technology, okay. and this is the first time we're doing it, and sure. nobody really actually does it any you know like there was i guess some in like the 70s i think and somebody else was like yeah for good reason <laughs> it, it might it might have been but maybe but back then though i would i almost feel like the technology might not have been there sure the technology's there now and it is so kind of so like on the four corners of each of the cores you know tucked in close to the core and if if i'm giving trade secrets away are basically th- you know, four, um, let's just call them elevator motors. Um, but they're, they're, they're wrapped around the cables and then the cables go down to basically a metal elevator platform that Mm -hmm. then holds up the actual platform itself. And it it just gets lifted, you know? So like they kind of like creep it up, creep it up, creep it up, creep it up, um, using these, but I mean, it's just, you're it's so crazy <laughs> to even yeah. think the way that sure. they're doing this it's uh, it's kind of anti-gravity yeah it is you know and we always joke about it. it's just like you know what would make this building better is levitation they're not in levitation but sky they're you know, this is sky hooks <laughs> it's sky hooks it totally is <laughs> we've always you know we've always hoped for sky hooks too and there you go it's sky hooks this is it and then they take you know then of course obviously they remove all of that stuff out of there and then there's going to be a larger podium um down below with you know like their um because this is this is kind of a mix between it'll have some retail at the bottom then it's going to have you know a hotel and then condos above and so then it'll have some of like the condo amenities and then the pool, you know, like the, the restaurant amenities and things like that. So it'll have all of that and kind of a podium below. And that'll probably be more conventionally built, but it'll still be with like the panelized systems and, and all of that other stuff. And they'll be able to like mobilize that a lot faster um, because like the exterior portions will be done before like the, the, the actual structural, in, you know, interiors get done. Do you know if if all the interiors and stuff are done before they jack it up, or do they just have like normal so, trades going in there after the fact? So all of the what was so because they lay everything out, they know mm-hmm. how long this wall or that wall or the furring wall or all of that other stuff, where the you know the penetrations are going to go and all that other stuff. So then they panelize the interior walls. So then they just stack all of the interior walls up, and then you know once it gets up and lifted into place, then it gets. Um, you know, assemble then essentially they just lift it in place, bolt it in place, and then you know, do so some it of goes their- up kind of as a shell, but with all of these parts inside the shell. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. that there can be a crew then once it gets like locked yep. into place and they're working up there while the crew who builds the shell is down on the ground again. Exactly. They, they never left the ground and exactly. they're they're building the next one. Oh, and so the crew and the crew that's up in the air do you know doing that, you know, the finishing work, they're in a fully weather tight um, yeah, environment right, right. so they don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Interesting. It really, it really sort of is. That's a cool new thing. Ah, uh, kids these days and their technology innovation. innovation. Yeah. Well, man, well, uh, that was, that was fun. Fun to talk yeah. about a project. So again, if anybody ever invites you to go visit a building, the answer is yes. The answer is always you learn yes. new things. You always learn new things. And and talk to the contractors. Oh yeah, and <laughs> that's then, cool. <laughs> and then off to 
off to the side where you see like the so it was it was interesting is like the you know you had like the 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 project manager the developer he was out there he was talking and a lot of people were asking questions and then the the construction project manager was kind of standing off to the side and of course i walk over to the construction project manager and start talking to him about you know just like you know the process and everything else because you know, you know, those, uh, construction project managers, they're always like the salty guys that, oh, yeah. um, you know, they've got the stories, they've, they've got, got the real all. stories and stuff. And honestly, he was, was he, he's wearing cowboy boots. And, yeah. 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 Steel toe cowboy boots, yes, but right. still, um, but I mean, he, he was like very forthcoming, you know, and, and like, even the, the developer was kind of like, you know, chiming in as they were kind of like tag teaming and stuff. And they aren't going to sugarcoat it and say that, you know, oh, it was just an absolute breeze. You know, they're, they're, they're saying this is a, this is a building that's a proof of concept and they're, we're basically making it up as we go along. What a fun challenge though. I mean, I, I'm sure people like they've been waiting their career for something different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Exactly. Uh, well, go to, uh, com slash episodes slash 286. And you can see photos of this that Cormac took. Yeah, that that way you'll you'll see them because they're not going to show up in the podcast player. They're going to just show up on the on the web page that the yeah. episode is on. And if uh, you know if you don't go there, then just you know look up the Exchange Building Detroit or Exchange Tower in Detroit, and that will take you to the lift build system, and you'll see videos and all that other stuff, and it's very crazy cool. Yeah, I'm looking like in your photos and right on one of the towers it says xcdetroit.com. So yep. that will get you some some images. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, fun. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Yeah. That's totally. cool. All right. Until next time. See you all. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.